Friday. Welcome into Unpause. It's Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Senator Nina Turner. Thank you so much for joining me today. And also thank you who are already on it where you are subscribing, sharing the stream and also sending love in the comments because we have an amazing show for you today. We're gonna be talking about how the right has been inciting violence in the wake of Monday's mass shooting. Also Trump has been, been added as well to it's wild out there in these streets. And especially when it comes to the streets of Starbucks. That's right, we're gonna talk about that congressional hearing that went down today. But we're not gonna talk about it alone because I have the great and wonderful Jessica Burbank, TYT contributor joining me. Jessica, you ready for today? It's so good to be back in action together, yes. Excellent, excellent. All right, let's go ahead and get things started as we head back to Nashville in theory. But the reality is that uh, the right is everywhere in terms of demonizing trans folks in the wake of Monday's shooting. Watch this. Trans ideology claims dominion over nature itself. We can change the identity we were born with, they will tell you with wild-eyed certainty. Christians can never agree with this statement because these are powers they believe God alone possesses. That unwillingness to agree, that failure to acknowledge a trans person's dominion over nature incites and enrages some in the trans community. People who believe they're God can't stand to be reminded that they're not. So Christianity and transgender orthodoxy are wholly incompatible theologies. They can never be reconciled. They are on a collision course with each other. One side is likely to draw blood before the other side. The trans movement is targeting Christians, including with violence. Most Christian leaders in this country don't want to admit that. Admitting it might force them to take deeply unfashionable positions. Yep, that's right, that's Fox News' face, Tucker Carlson who is weaponizing anti-trans rhetoric in the wake of the mass shooting on Monday, which was committed by a trans man. And the thing here is, as we heard in that monologue last night, he basically expressly said that trans people are the natural enemy of Christianity. Absolutely, utterly disgusting, demoralizing, and essentially is inciting a crusade that will enhance chances of danger for the trans community, which is something that they already face. And the thing is, is that Tucker Carlson was not alone in this brigade. Marjorie Taylor Greene was among the first to take to social media in the wake of learning that this shooter was trans. Here you see this tweet, how much hormones like testosterone and medications for mental illness was the transgender Nashville school shooter taking? Everyone can stop blaming guns now. Don Jr. said this, given the incredible rise of trans non-binary mass shooters in the last few years, by far the largest group committing as a percentage of the population. Maybe rather than talking about guns, we should be talking about lunatics pushing their gender affirming bullshit on our kids. Ohio Senator J.D. Vance, we're still learning about the horrific shooting in Nashville. But if early reports are accurate that a trans shooter targeted a Christian school, there needs to be a lot of soul searching on the extremist left giving in to these ideas into compassion, it's dangerous. And TPUSA founder Charlie Kirk, instead of banning assault rifles, we should ban gender affirming care for kids. This is fear mongering at its worst and it is targeting the trans community. It's also inciting violence against them. This community is already incredibly small, less than 2% of the US population, 1.6% if I recall correctly from a Pew Research study. And according to UCLA School of Law, well, we can see here transgender people are over four times more likely than cis people to experience violent victimization. That includes sexual assault, sexual violence, aggravated 
or simple assault and even property crimes. The trans community is under attack in this country. And regardless of what went down on Monday, the reality is that it's guns that are the problem. The right is simply looking to advance their agenda and their war on the trans community by making it seem like these individuals who are part of a vulnerable small group are in some way a threat to our society. And thus he is inciting violence against them by creating this rhetoric. I'm just, it's its absolutely disgusting, Jessica. Yeah, absolutely disgusting is, is right. They got mad at us, the Tucker Carlson's and the like, people who are conservative commentators who always jump on us and say, "Oh my gosh, there's been a mass shootings. I know it's gonna come, they're gonna start talking about gun bans. Um, we always point out when there's a manifesto that is explicitly Nazi ideologies, it's explicitly white supremacist, it's very clear from these folks online footprints what they believe in. And the vast majority of mass shooters being white men, and they get mad at us and they say, well, you're, you're really stereotyping here, you can't say it's all white men, you can't demonize white men. But one person who was a mass shooter, happen to be transgender and now they have tried to tell everybody as Tucker Carlson just did that there's a, a part of the trans agenda to attack Christians. Let's back up a little bit. It's been white Christian nationalists that have said, you know, trans people, we don't want you to exist in our society. So someone takes an act of violence, I assume, in response to rhetoric like that, and you're gonna say that this is a part of the the trans agenda. The trans agenda in the United States is for people to have a full life expectancy if they're transgender because of the stats that Adrian just laid out there. So it's it's disgusting that they're willing to take these steps and spread this misinformation and turn people's fear into violence against a community that is already disproportionately victimized. Absolutely, they are willing to rile up their base to attack trans individuals who again are such a small population and already face considerable amounts of violence. It's completely and totally unnecessary. And the thing is, is the Republicans are not going to do anything about it because hey, why would they? They want to continue to fill their coffers from NRA money. And we know that because we continue to see, we only get thoughts and prayers. And even when it comes to House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, we kind of just get nothing. Watch. There's obviously a grieving community there. There's obviously a question. Let me ask you guys a question. Do you believe what I tell you? Well, what did I say on the way out? We don't believe anyone. So, I didn't actually hear you on the way out. What did you say? She don't listen. You said. Yeah, that was McCarthy that you could hear on that audio there being confronted in terms of his response with the Nashville shooting that just went down on Monday. And he has nothing to say. He does not want to answer those questions explicitly saying he wouldn't answer them. That's not much of a leader the last I check. And also the individuals out in North Carolina, not so big on leadership, I would also say. As you can see from this headline here, well, the Republicans there in the state of North Carolina just made it easier to access guns.
Yeah, let's go ahead and go to the AP for the story. So Republicans in North Carolina repealed a state requirement that purchasers of pistols obtain a permit from a sheriff. The enacted bill will also allow guns on some school properties where religious services are held. The Republican controlled North Carolina legislature successfully overrode a veto by the Democratic Governor Roy Cooper. Yes, that tells us a lot about what's going on in terms of the right who have a position of power in certain states and what they plan to do, which is increase the presence of guns. Jessica. I'm here in North Carolina now, and you know, my family has guns. I use guns. This law doesn't make any sense, and it's so common that they freak out and say, oh my gosh. They're gonna wanna ban guns, there's just been a shooting. We better pass some legislation and be preventative here and make it a little bit easier to get a pistol. First of all, no one has proposed, there are very few people, no one's proposed legislation to do a full ban on pistols in the state of North Carolina. The idea that you need to take away this very basic preventative policy that is popular among people in the United States, that if you wanna get a gun, just prove you know how to use it. It makes me scared as a gun owner that they're making it easier and that people who have never shot a gun can just go and get a gun. This makes matters far worse and it just goes to show that these folks who say, you know what, the proliferation of arms in the United States, the amount of guns that we have is not the problem. And that's not why we have all of these school shootings. So what is and why aren't you legislating around that? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And honestly, as a gun owner, this makes me feel worse about our rights to bear arms in the United States. Absolutely, and it is very terrifying that they singled out that you can bring guns in certain places where they are having religious services. Come on now, it's not just necessarily in places where they have Christian houses, but also when you think about mosques, when you think about synagogues, places that generally have not had the presence of weapons because the individuals who brought them there brought them to harm the individuals there. Why they would particularly single out houses of worship or places of worship is extremely terrifying. But it shows us that if this rhetoric that Carlson and the rest of them are pushing in terms of this thought that the trans community is targeting Christianity and is the antithesis to the Christian Judeo life, then that's what's going on here in terms of the thought that, well, they might go ahead and come after our churches, which is nothing but propaganda. And somebody who loves their propaganda definitely would be Donald Trump. As he's facing indictment in his hush money case, well, the former president is calling for chaos and violence, and he's doing it at every turn. Most recently with this retruth here that he had posted on his social media platform, True Social. This post that he is promoting, it says Democrats want to indict and arrest President Trump. They want a war, let's give it to them. Yeah, that post was written by far right columnist Wayne Allen Root. And that message is coming across loud and clear. The thought that individuals want war when they simply want justice and for there to be one justice system. Well, that wasn't the end of it. Trump has been publicly lashing out at Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg since at least what mid-March. Here's another recent post from the former president. He said this, page two, now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan 
district attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors fairy tale and far away leading Republican candidate and former President of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest, take our nation back. Yeah, that's when he pushed that narrative and thought that there would be an arrest. And of course, he ended up raising $1.5 million in funds, that avalanche of funding that he got because he was pushing this whole theory that he would be arrested, which never came to pass. And of course, five days after he put that out there, well, Trump posted a photo of himself holding a baseball bat next to a picture of DA Bragg, yeah. And at the bottom there, it has this unfounded caption that just 10% of Manhattan residents voted for anti-Trump DA in 2021. If he is not inciting violence against DA Bragg and his team, I really don't know what is going on here. But I think that I, I think that my understanding is accurate. And of course, when asked about all of these uh, comments that he's making directed toward Bragg, well, Trump had this to say. You talked about death and destruction, and then you the baseball bat picture yeah. next to Alvin Bragg, and you did take that down. And the story was put up, I put up a story, we didn't see pictures, we put up a story that was very exculpatory, very good story from the standpoint of what we're talking about. And they put up a picture of me, and you know where I was holding the baseball bat? It was at the White House. Make America, buy America, because they did a lot of buy America things. And this is a company that makes baseball bats. Then they put next to that picture, a picture of Alvin Bragg. I didn't do it, they did it. The, the I guess the people that do the paper or somebody put pictures together. Wow, he really likes to play dumb. That, that was some great deflection there as opposed to address the issue. Uh, Go off talking about a manufacturer of a baseball bat, and then someone else did it. Get out of here with that, uh, Jessica. Am I am I missing this? Yeah, I mean, if he didn't like the story or or didn't like the picture attached to the story, he didn't have to re-truth the picture. I think that's the proper terminology for Truth Social. But here we have someone running for president, the former president, who is saying, if they want a war, let's give it to them within a week of him saying, I don't want World War III, I'm the only candidate promising no World War III. But he's promising a Civil War 2.0. Do, do we see how this doesn't make sense whatsoever? I love America so much, let's tear it down with a Civil War because the Justice Department might finally get me for some crimes that I have admitted to publicly. These attorneys have this case pretty much in the bag because the, what he said about storm for me, Daniels, and how he said this is extortion. But it's crazy what he's done, saying, you know, I'm against World War III, but I'm okay with the Civil War. It's like when you're driving with your mom and you pass by McDonald's and you're like, Mom, can we please go to McDonald's? And she's like, No, you don't have McDonald's money. We have food at home. Donald Trump straight up said, Do you have war money? No. All right, well, well, let's make war at home. We've got some AK-47s in the cabinets. We'll scrounge something up. It's ridiculous that this is the former president and someone running for office. And he's like, maybe we'll do a civil war. Makes no sense to me. Yeah, and most of his rhetoric does not make sense. We just know it incites violence. And of course, he loves to continue to wage these attacks, which he is also finding comfort in attacking his potential competition for that 2024 GOP presidential primary. That's Ron DeSantis. Yeah, watch this. 
what happened with Ron is the following. He came to see me. He was getting killed. He was being crushed. Adam Putnam, it was over. He was beating Ron by 30 points or so. It was over. Ron came to see me, tears in his eyes. He said, I need you to do me a big favor. First he asked for the meeting, then he asked me for the favor. I said, what's the favor? Would you endorse me? Yes, the Ron tears in his eyes talk. I think we've heard this a lot over the last few days. But of course, it doesn't stop there for Donald Trump. Florida did great long before DeSanctus came along, got my coveted endorsement, which shot him up in the polls and then won the election, won the primer. Then he won the election with my help. We did rallies for him. We did everything for him. I like people that are loyal. When you help somebody, you expect that there'll be a certain amount of dignity and loyalty. We didn't get that from Ron, but that's okay because we're going to beat him and we're going to beat him very badly. We're going to win the presidency. We're going to make America great again. It's rather comical how Trump loves to talk about loyalty, yet he is the most disloyal person I think I've ever encountered. Oh my God. But you know what? Um, it seems like the MAGA community may be more loyal to him because these jabs uh, toward DeSantis, they seem to be pretty profitable for old Donnie. That's according at least to one new poll, uh, this per The Guardian. On Monday, a new survey from the Center for American Political Studies at Harvard and the Harris Poll gave the former president a 26 point national lead over the Florida governor by 50% to 24%, a four point gain since February. Oof, that seems like there might be something there. But of course, when he's out here fiending that he's going to be indicted and arrested, I'm sure a lot of people may sympathize with him. But I would hope that people would sympathize more with common sense, but that's clearly not the case. Jessica, any thoughts? Donald Trump's face looks like an old leather shoe these days. It's really alarming to, to watch this man speak and, and come comprehend what he's saying without getting so distracted by that. But the battle between DeSantis or DeSanctimonious and Trump is such a fascinating one. Because here you have Donald Trump saying, I made this guy who he is, right? There he is with his leather shoe face. He's taking credit for DeSantis's political career. But everybody that likes Donald Trump has some sympathy for Ron DeSantis. We see in the rallies when Donald Trump insults DeSantis, the crowd's pretty quiet. They're not cheering him on. And so it goes to show that when Trump is talking about loyalty to his political allies, that means unless it's inconvenient for my personal political career, where I grew up, that's not how loyalty works. Loyalty goes both ways. So it's just fascinating watching these two tear each other down to the detriment of their political movement. Oh, absolutely. And it's really uh, uncomfortable because we know that so many members of the Republican Party are going to be in that awkward position when they ultimately go for DeSantis and they are now at the ire of Donald Trump. So let the mudslinging continue as long as it to some extent would hopefully splits the vote in some way. I'm down for it. I'm also down to take a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back, Adrian Lawrence filling in for the great Nina Turner. Yes, and so excited to have you all for this embossed conversation. And I need you to do me a solid. If you haven't already, please subscribe now to TYT's weekday morning newsletter. I get it, it's called the Progress Report and it's fantastic. Every morning we're gonna give you the best progressive news, also analysis reporting. It'll be broken down in a way that's gonna give you so much incredible knowledge to go forth and do greatness. You can go ahead and scan the QR code, excuse me, or go to tyt.com newsletter to sign up. 
Also, do not hesitate to check out the watch list. That's right, that's my buddy JR Jackson comes after Unbossed. And you need to share in his takes because he's got some good ones. Enjoy watching news, politics, culture, current events, sports, everything live daily, 5 Eastern to Pacific. You can watch that at youtube.com slash watch list. And of course, gotta peep the podcast, that's right, for Unbossed Live. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, download it and also hit that rating of five stars. We'd really appreciate it. As far as the TYT members out there, I gotta give you love, Wolf Dragon Donna says there are not enough swear words to describe Tucker Carlson. There aren't, but my God, I will use a few and they a lot of them will have four letters. Mo Fury says, so a bag of tangerines and a talking thumb are fighting for the GOP nomination. We are living in a comic book. Yeah, and it's about to turn into a real, real horror film if either of them end up winning. But it's a winner out there on Twitch, that's San Diego J sending love to me, you Adrian and Jessica. Let's get them, that's right, I like that, I like it. Let's stay pumped. Also for that YouTube super chat, you don't like my music says two absolute truth tellers, love it. Absolutely love it and love you. Something I don't love though is the GOP's war on wokeness, which popped off yesterday. And it seems that Congressman um, Paul Gosar, well, he decided to wage a war on some conspiracy theory. It's pretty interesting, check this out. Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense issued quote, a stand down of the entire military in 2021 because he falsely believed the military is systematically racist. What an insult to our brave men and women. General Milley, instead of fulfilling his constitutional duty to serve Donald Trump, the duly elected president at the time, representing the voice of the American people, conspired with both Nancy Pelosi and foreign adversary, the CCP, on separate occasions to hatch plans to overthrow the sitting president of the United States. What an insurrection, you say? The point of all these actions is clear, cleanse the military of conservatives. Wow, that is cute. I guess the gentleman from Arizona believes that General Milley, Nancy Pelosi and China conspired to take down Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm sure that's all that happened to go down during a congressional hearing on what was it? Not on conspiracy theories, but the historic decline in military recruitment. Yeah, so the GOP wants to blame wokeness for that. But before we get to the likely cause, let's look at what diversity in the US Armed Forces actually looks like courtesy of Representative Maxwell Frost. I even heard somebody bring up one of the witnesses, an unspoken rule on pressures of promotions are based on, can be based on quotas or DEI or et cetera. I think it's important to know 76% of active duty officers in the US military right now are white. And so I just, I highly doubt that there's an unspoken pressure that is pushing people to promote based on DEI, race, or et cetera. Our military has about 1.3 million active uh, active personnel. However, women recruits uh, continue to climb. Men still make up 82% of our military. I think it's important to know that recent surveys have found that an estimate 21% of women in the military and about 4% of men have experienced unwanted sexual contact in the prior year. Uh, Yeah, as an expert on workplace sexual harassment who has done the research, I can definitely tell you that you're gonna get a lot more harass holes in environments where they are homogenous and people come through who are a little bit different. And when it comes to different in the military, I can tell you one thing that's not different, it's cishet white men. As you can see from this chart here and as Maxwell Frost said, yeah, that's right. 
racially white people dominate, it comes to the military. Yet I would like to think every group can fight no matter what color they are or gender. But still the military is pushing this idea that wokeness is the reason why that uh, there's been a decline in military recruitment. I doubt that is the case. But as we look at this headline here per military.com, it definitely seems they are still doubling down on their woke criticism after Army says safety's top recruiting is the challenge. That's right. Young people do not necessarily want to get out there and risk their lives, especially if they're not necessarily going to get paid a lot, which we'll discuss in a moment. There is no validity so far and all to this wokeness agenda. Just ask Lieutenant General David Barno, who testified yesterday. Aware of any studies that actually have any factual data that support that assertion. I also know that at least two service chiefs, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Berger, and the Chief Staff of the Air Force, General C.Q. Brown, have both said, that you know, wokeism is not. There's no such thing as not affecting military readiness. They've seen they see no evidence that this is a problem inside their two services, uh, and I think that applies in the recruiting domain as well. But no, in terms of uh, actual evidence, I've not seen that. No, no one's seen any evidence. But what we definitely have seen evidence of is the fact that people can't what make ends meet when they work for the military. Yeah, Congressman Jamie Raskin put the truth out there. It all boils down to money. Uh, potential recruits are not afraid of going woke, they're afraid of going broke. Pay and benefits are so low that the RAND Corporation estimates that more than a quarter, 26% of our military service members are food insecure. And 14% actually use food assistance programs like food banks to meet their family needs. Yeah. The fact is that people are struggling. They do not want to put their lives on the line, potentially face some physical harm, also be subjected to sexual harassment, mistreatment because they're different, all because they're gonna take home a few coins, not even enough so that they can live and support their families. So yeah, it's not looking good for the military, Jessica. I have so many thoughts on this, I cannot believe there is a congressional hearing on the decline in US military recruitment numbers. And sitting members of Congress are saying that that is because of wokeness. There were people in the streets protesting the war in Iraq. There were people in the streets protesting the Vietnam War and black Americans were sent to fight in the Vietnam War despite being denied their rights at home. The majority of the people in the United States did not support the US intervening in the war in Nicaragua and still, our members of Congress, after voting unanimously, promising that they would not, the US foreign policy establishment did. $886.3 billion is the defense budget for 2023, and they call it defense spending. But we know very well that America is on the offensive. $886.3 billion when most Americans, 64%, are living paycheck to paycheck. So when you wage unjust wars with a high cost both in dollars and human lives, and you don't take care of veterans when they get home if they make it home, and you don't pay them fair wages, you can't be surprised when people don't want to fight on your side. In the words of George W. Bush himself, fool me once, fool me, you can't get fooled again. I don't think wokeness is what the demise of the US military can be accredited to. The US military caused its own demise when you have elites using us as pawns in this game of international domination and capital accumulation. They've orchestrated their own demise. 
And so when we really think about all of this, fear is a manipulation tool with a limited lifespan. And it's, it's about reached its expiration date. And if people opening their eyes to all of that means that we are woke, okay, stay asleep, but sleep in the bed that you've made. Absolutely, and I really wish that they would maybe do a little bit more when it comes to budget cuts. Because as you noted, in terms of our military budget, what 800 what billion dollars, something of that measure, that's incredibly, incredibly unnecessary in terms of spending that we could be allocating for other things. But of course, when it comes to spending, we get to see what the GOP wants to do. And House leader, well, Kevin McCarthy, he doesn't have anything to say that we really want to believe. Is that right? So the one thing I will tell you as Republicans, we will always protect Medicare and Social Security. We will protect that for the next generation going forward. But we are going to scrutinize every single dollar spent. It's the right, it's the hardworking taxpayer that actually pays it. And we want to make sure it's spent wisely and not the way the Democrats have spent it. That's completely not plausible coming off of his lips. As much as he wants to say that the GOP won't go after Social Security in the debt limit battle. Well, there are other vital programs that definitely are not safe. The New York Times headline here makes that clear. It says House GOP prepares to slash federal programs in coming budget showdown. That's right, a breakdown of what the GOP plans to target looks like this. The outline includes a 45% cut to foreign aid, adding work requirements for food stamps and Medicaid beneficiaries, a 43% cut to housing programs, including phasing out the Section 8 program that pays a portion of monthly rent costs for low income people, cutting the FBI's counterintelligent budget by nearly half and eliminating Obamacare expansions to Medicaid to save tens of billions of dollars. Interesting, I don't see anything about taxing the wealthy there. It seems that they're trimming everything back on things that would help those who are quite marginalized in our society. But of course, now McCarthy says he's ready to reignite the flame here. That's right, tweeting at President Biden. Mr. President, I'm incredibly concerned you are putting an already fragile economy in jeopardy by insisting upon your extreme position on the debt limit. It's time to drop partisanship, roll up our sleeves and find common ground on this urgent challenge. My God, the only thing common is that they both get a paycheck from the federal government. But critics out there in Congress, they're definitely quick quick to get ahead of McCarthy's attempts here. Really, Common Dreams has the truth here in their headline, saying this scam is a non-starter. Dems blast McCarthy's latest call for painful cuts. Let's look at that blast. As President Biden has demanded a debt ceiling increase without any accompanying spending cuts. In response to McCarthy's letter, Biden pushed House Republicans to release a detailed budget plan, but stressed that spending talks must be separate from prompt action on Congress's basic obligations to pay the nation's bills and avoid economic catastrophe. In a Tuesday appearance on CNBC, McCarthy said he is prepared to recommend $4 trillion in total spending cuts, but he didn't provide specifics on which programs would be cut and by how much drawing mockery from Democratic lawmakers. Yeah, and one of those lawmakers was Senator Chuck Schumer. Take a look at his tweet. This is from Huffington Post senior politics reporter, Iger Bobbick saying Schumer on McCarthy's demands. If he comes to the president's office with no specific plan, no specific details about what the Republicans want to cut, what are they going to talk about? The weather? 
Yeah, that'll be interesting because we know the weather is definitely a little bit more reliable. It seems this day these days in the GOP, they are not looking to ensure that the least among us are supported by the system. They're not looking to trim those who could definitely sustain a trim in terms of maybe paying a bit more in taxes. Rather, we the people are gonna be the ones to suffer, the people who actually work. And it is clear taking away opportunity for people to get benefits, section eight housing funding. These things are essential that come to individuals daily lives and ability to take care of themselves. But the GOP really wants to sweep the leg here still. Jessica. I'm just not a fan. Anytime a member of Congress acts like Medicare, Medicaid, the things that our public dollars go to pay for when they act like those aren't things we worked for and they instead treat them like they're gifts from the, the US government to you. That's not how, how any of this works. They're pretending that the spending is so limited and so constrained that we have to cut back on Medicare and Medicaid when our economy is far more productive than it was when parents, children were doing better than them economically. They could work their way through college, they could afford a home. That economy has been gutted because while we've been far more productive, our wages haven't kept up with this productivity. And even recently during the pandemic, 53% of the money made off of price increases was all profit. So if workers are being more productive and making things that earn their bosses more money, we have worked for things that we are not getting. That money is all going into the pockets of billionaires, of CEOs, of the owner donors that pay people like Kevin McCarthy to say things precisely like this, that oh, there's not enough money to go around. Well, where's the money going? Guess what? It's in the hands of the people who are paying him to say exactly that. And it's things that we've worked for. When you go to work every single day in your nine to five and you put in eight hours, you deserve Medicare and Medicaid. We can all pool our resources together and very easily afford these things. But when they're suppressing us and keeping our wages so low and increasing prices so that we have to give more of those hard earned wages to them, they're just hoarding the money at this point and essentially keeping us, us ransom and working for them, holding us ransom rather. And so it's disgusting to hear them talk about things that we've worked for as if it's a gift from Kevin McCarthy. Absolutely, it's so funny because it reminds me of exactly how our nation was founded. The thought that only white wealthy men who owned property got a say. So their goal was, well, let's keep the people as uneducated as possible. Let's keep them as poor as possible and relying upon us so that they have to labor and we are the ones in control. And it seems very much the case that that whole mantra is still very much alive and well and part of the legacy that is America in addition to its future. But as far as the future goes, we will see you back after this break. It's Unboss and it's Adrian Lawrence and I'm glad to be back filling in for Senator Nina Turner and Mountain Dragon says, miss you Senator Turner, but so glad to have the law and the Burbank to get us through the day. All the love to you too and our TYT fam. Thank you so much, we really appreciate the love. And Twitch, well Chipmunk says, people are figuring out that our military means bullying the rest of the world into submission and they don't want a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems to be right. And also YouTube, Meredith says, I question Paul Gosar's mental capacity. He's clearly incapacitated. He is evil and he is missing what a few 
card short of a full deck? I don't know, but I know it's a problem and this man is very much a part of it. But you know what's not necessarily going to be as much a part of a problem, at least in California, is oil companies. That's right, California is going after those greedy oil manufacturers. Check this out. Fossil fuel obsolescence is on the horizon. They know that and they will make sure that they will squeeze every last penny until that future or until that future happens. And we should not stand to let their greed for any day longer. I ask for your I vote. Oof, yes, you heard it. That was California Assemblyman Alex Lee who introduced SBX12. Yeah. And the good news is it passed. So what is XB or SBX12 other than a bunch of what letters and numbers? Well, Let's look at what Common Dreams has to say. The California Assembly voted 52 to 19 on Monday in favor of the bill, which will empower the California Energy Commission to impose profit caps and penalties on refiners and create an intra-agency watchdog tasked with conducting greater oversight of fossil fuel companies to minimize profiteering. The new law will allow the CEC to levy daily fines of 5,000 to 20,000 up to a maximum of half a milli. If a company does not provide the agency with data to determine if it's complying with the legislation, CEC fines are currently kept at two grand. Two grand, please. The dental implant I just got does not even, uh, it totally eclipses that, like get out of here. Oh my God, of course, which is why these oil companies weren't doing what they needed to do. Well, Cassie Siegel, the director of the Center for Biological Diversity Climate Law Institute, celebrated the passage of this law, saying despite the industry spending millions on lobbying, California is now one step closer to protecting working Californians from the oil industry's greed. Whether it's price gouging at the pump or drilling in people's backyards, big oils, Days of harming our health and our pocketbooks must end. Now, as a reminder here, check out this chart. You know, these big oil companies really smashed the profit records in 2022. That's right, when a lot of us were struggling with the price of eggs, all sorts of things were going through the roof, they were cashing in. They are making more money than before, than ever. And so capping that, or at least letting them know there are gonna be penalties is incredibly important. And this is a great step for California, and hopefully this is the kind of legislation that'll pick up more traction across the nation. Of course, I will go ahead and kind of go out there on a limb and say I'd like to see it go further. I'd like for there not to be set fines, but I would love for the fines to be based on a percentage of whatever your revenue is. That's how I would love to see speeding tickets, how I'd love to see any kind of these fines that Facebook and these other big companies get. Because otherwise, it's just a drop in the bucket when they are reaping in profits in the billions, damn near trillions. So having a half a milli to be the max fine isn't really that burdensome for them. Let's actually, you know, hit them where it hurts. At least those are my thoughts. Jessica, what do you think? Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, they can afford to pay these fines when they're literally profiting in the billions. So yeah, it's a slap on the wrist, but it's better than nothing at all, of course. The thing about this is they're raising prices just because they can. They're not raising prices because there's some additional costs. It's become more expensive for oil. They're certainly not raising prices because they're reinvesting a proportion of their profits into, I don't know, what needs to change about the energy industry. They're not investing in renewable energies. You are an energy company and still you would rather keep your costs low, keep extracting oil. And just if you feel like raising prices, you're gonna raise prices because 
you know what, the profits weren't as high when people were staying at home and weren't driving because we had that global pandemic. So let's make up for it by just hiking them. Let's line the pockets of our shareholders. I mean, seriously, this should be criminal because there are people who are making the really hard decision uh, to cut back on spending on groceries, to cut back on spending on basic necessities because of the amount of money they were paying on energy and fuel, especially in California where it was extremely high. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done here. Hopefully uh, they will not circumvent this fine and try and pass it off onto the consumer or what have you. We definitely need a windfall profits tax to address all of the money they've already made that's in their pockets. If you're at a poker game and someone's been cheating, you don't just say, hey, don't do that anymore, we'll punish you. You say, well, you took a lot of our money in an unfair way, we've got to set things right. So I would really like to see them retroactively tax the profits profits that they've made off of price gouging during the pandemic. Hopefully we'll see it go farther, but this is good news. Oh wow, when you brought up uh, someone cheating at the poker game, I was thinking that you know you break their kneecaps. Uh, that's how you show them not to do it again. But if you just want to take their money back, that's fine too. Um, but hey, those are kind of just the way I'd go about it in terms of handling people who act up. And of course, Congress does it very differently. And they did it differently today before Senator Bernie Sanders, who had a few words for the Starbucks executive, now former CEO Howard Schultz. The campaign has been led by Howard Schultz, the multi-billionaire founder and director of Starbucks, who is with us this morning only under the threat of subpoena. There have been over 500 unfair labor practice, practice charges lodged against the company, and judges have found that Starbucks broke the law 130 times across six states since workers began organizing in the fall of 2021. Yeah, that's right. That was a hearing for the history books. Schultz uh, is kind of known as an infamous union buster and he had just resigned right before testifying before Congress. On Wednesday, he did so as Bernie noted under the threat of subpoena, sitting down before the Senate to address allegations that Starbucks had been breaking labor laws, not necessarily breaking kneecaps though. And of course, Schultz, well, he was fresh off his third stint as Starbucks CEO and he repeatedly denied wrongdoing. Here's a reminder of what the antics are. So employees at nearly 300 coffee shops have now voted to join Starbucks Workers United. About 3% of the chain's company owned locations in the US Starbucks has shuttered some unionized stores and fired some workers involved in organizing citing misconduct. Administrative law judges have found Starbucks violated labor laws in at least eight of those cases so far, which the company is appealing. Some rulings have ordered Starbucks to reinstate fired workers and issue them back pay. One said Starbucks engaged in egregious and widespread misconduct, demonstrating a general disregard for the employees. Yes, that's right, because again, the penalties are not very steep. Yet if there were fines in place that hit the companies at a percentage of their revenue, my God, I'm sure they would lay off union workers and maybe even just treat them a little bit better. Now, of course, Mitt Romney tried to throw an alley-oop during the hearing to former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz really about the benefits in non-unionized stores, saying that they were better than in unionized stores and it did not go well. Do the non-union store employees get paid less than the union store employees? The starting wage has been the same. The only difference is the benefits that we created in May. And my understanding under the law is that we were not allowed to provide those benefits 
to people who are organizing to join a union. So, in fact, the non-union stores are actually a little better uh, total package than, than the union stores. In my four years at the company, I've never had a problem qualifying for benefits until now suddenly. Um, I actually just was taken off of Starbucks benefit policies um, because I have not been scheduled the appropriate hours or anywhere close to my availability for the better part of an hour requirement per week. It's 20 hours per week. It, the threshold was lower due to COVID. However, that has now since, I believe, been removed. Um, so, yeah. Uh, because of that, my hours were cut. Yeah, I think that that would be more aligned the truth uh, and less so what Schultz is saying. Again, it's incredibly disheartening that you can have these companies raking in billions of dollars and yet their employees simply want to gather together so that they can have better control over their own economic independence and the conditions within which they work. And yet these companies will invest millions of dollars to stop them as opposed to just treating them decently. I don't get it, but then again, it's very much a hallmark of our capitalistic society. Jessica. Absolutely. Howard Schultz got that law so backwards in, in his application or regurgitation of it. Basically, if you're organizing a union and you know, you're a group of workers, it's a tactic for your boss to say, nah, let's give you some more benefits. Let's pay you know, for some of your college. Let's raise your wages a little bit. What do you want changed about your schedule to entice them to not join the union because they want to continue exerting power over them and exploiting their labor. And so what Howard Schultz mentions, you know, well, I didn't think I could give the, the union employees the benefits because of this law. But what he has done is said, well, there's a new enticement for you to not work at a store with the union. They get more benefits. He literally did the thing that's illegal saying, I was trying not to do the illegal thing. It's absolutely ridiculous. But should the cup of uh, a cup of coffee be $8 like it is at Starbucks? It's insane what the prices are and it also comes with the moral cost of these baristas not being able to pay rent, of them working at stores that are under staff, of their managers telling them that you know some customers might come in without PPE even before the vaccines came out. And these folks were on the front lines risking getting COVID at the beginning of the pandemic for what? For people to have coffee, but that was okay for, for people like Howard Schultz who are profiting off of this. People were being denied their basic rights to organize a union and live with dignity. And let's keep in mind that being a barista isn't a side job for folks. It's not something that, that just young people do or people do in addition to their main job. This is people's livelihood. This is how people pay their bills and pay their rent and take care of their families. And they deserve to be paid a living wage, especially when we see what Starbucks profits are. Absolutely, and when we see the profits, it does not make sense when these billion dollar companies aren't treating their employees well, or maybe even they're just laying them off. And that's what's happening at Disney right now. As we know, they are dropping some 7,000 employees. That's right, CEO Bob Iger dropped this memo to his team, uh, I believe last week. Dear fellow employees, as I shared with you in February, we have made the difficult decision to reduce our overall workforce by approximately 7,000 jobs as part of a strategic realignment of the company, including important cost saving measures necessary for creating a more effective, coordinated and streamlined approach to our business. Over the past few months, senior leaders have been working closely with HR to assess their operational needs. And I will give you an update 
on those efforts. Well, those updates are coming this week. As we know, a first round began and it impacted managers notifying employees. A second round that's gonna be larger is gonna take place in April. That's what Iger said and several thousand staffers will be let go then. And then a third round will occur before the beginning of summer. Uh, eliminating an estimated 7,000 jobs. And of course, this puts uh, a dent to some extent in Disney's workforce. There's, they could basically be cutting about seven, or excuse me, 3% of the workforce. And right now, Disney, uh, they have about 220,000 employees. And a lot of them, they do not necessarily make a lot of money. We know that Disney employees on average earn about $23.61, that is not necessarily enough to have a living wage really depending on where you live. But we also know that Bob Iger has a base salary of a million dollars and I'm sure there are plenty of benefits that go along with that. And that Disney made about 84 billion last year. Jessica, any words on this? I think it's it's fascinating. I would love to know which jobs specifically were cut. What were those people doing? Because as we see the rise of AI and computing power, we've we've had some hysteria around, oh, robots are going to take your job. A robot is something that, that mechanically does something that human beings might usually do when you talk about replacement. But when we talk about AI, that can replace people's jobs as well. And the wording of this announcement, it doesn't seem like they're saying, oh, it's just a temporary thing, you know, the economy's not so good. Seems like they're making some pretty permanent changes actually. And so that tells me that they found a way to substitute this labor or they have a reason not to need this labor anymore. And so if this were something you told, I don't know, economists in, in the 70s or the 60s, you know, people are losing their jobs because we have the rise of AI, it'd be like, Great, so computers are doing work that we used to do. Humans much have so much more, they must have so much more leisure time than they did before if computers can work for us. But instead, this is gonna be 7,000 people wondering how they're going to pay the bills, wondering how they're going to get on unemployment insurance or find other work when really we should be in a position where it's like, great, AIs and computers can work for us and we can be more productive and do less work as a people and have a higher quality of life. Unfortunately, the way our economy is set up, that's not what's happening, but we need to make the changes so that that can happen. Absolutely, and the interesting thing as you've noted in terms of why this is happening, as I understand that there's a billionaire activist investor named Nelson Peltz who was making a play for a board seat at Disney and he did not back down until Iger agreed to cut these costs by cutting these jobs and trimming down the company. That just tells you we are pawn in the billionaire's game. But right now we are out of time. I really wanna thank you for joining us, Jessica. And can you please tell the viewers where they can find you? Yes, all over social media, Substack, Cover Bank, YouTube now, Cover Bank as well, counter programming. So see you there. All right, fantastic. And I am Adrian Lawrence filling in for Nina Turner. You can catch me on Twitter at Adrian Law, on Instagram at Adrian Lawrence, and you can check out my segment Overruled on Rebel Headquarters, which is on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks so much and enjoy your day. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.